I really sat down and looked at my life decisions and looked at my childhood and was like, I can't be like my parents. I can't be struggling for the rest of my life. I can't not take my medication that I need to live and eat and pay student loans and have negative money at the end of the month. I just can't do it. You're listening to the Winning to Wealth podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth. These stories will show you how to earn more money, pay off debt, start investing, and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future. Now, here's your host, Michael Lacey. What's up? What's up? What's up, teammates? This is episode 29 of the Winning to Wealth podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a tough subject, specifically divorce and how to handle all the financial changes that come with and after divorce. And to do that, I brought on Virginia Ware, also known as V Frugal Fox. Now, we all know divorce can have a huge impact on your finances. I mean, you may find yourself needing to refinance a house or retitle a car and so many other little things that we don't really think about. And that's all after potentially losing a huge chunk of your household income. But I'm not only going to talk to V about the financial impact of divorce, we're going to touch on how divorce can impact your mental and emotional health, which kind of in turn can negatively impact your income as well. But I don't want you to get it twisted. This is not some Debbie Downer episode. V's story is actually one of resilience and just pure grit because V took those hits on the chin, got up and blazed her own trail and is now a full time entrepreneur. As a matter of fact, I happen to be a client of We Are Digital Marketing myself. So let's jump in and learn how V went from divorced damsel to empowered entrepreneur in a handful of years. V, welcome to the show. I am happy to have you here today to just share more about your journey. But before we get into some of the deeper and heavier parts of your story, can you just share a little bit about some of the financial lessons you learned in childhood? Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I grew up in a lower middle class household. Um, my dad worked for DuPont. Um, he worked there for about 35 years. And I remember very clearly kind of the first time I realized like we weren't in a good financial spot and it it was when our car was repossessed. <laughs> and I remember looking out the window and, and seeing a tow truck and being like, Mama, what what's going on? And she didn't really have an answer for me. And they had a huge blowout fight that night. And I think that was the point where I realized it doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters what you do with that money. And that was probably the biggest one. And I remember going out to eat all the time and we never went on vacation and you know, my dad was working all the time, but we never had any money. And then later in his life, he got colon cancer and he's he's okay now, but he's had a lot of health problems. And I think those were the two biggest lessons for me is, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you make. And also, you know, company loyalty, you can have that to a fault almost because at the end of his term at DuPont, they didn't give a crap about him. And he ended up having a bunch of health issues from it. So that kind of propelled me to be obsessed with personal finance. I mean, talk about how 
you because you see your your parents making a decent income right but there are obviously struggles so how did that translate into your early adulthood with how you were able to handle money i was never taught about money i mean i knew when things were getting tight you know like we we didn't go out to eat as much and we we didn't go to shopping as much but like like you said like we had a decent amount of money my mom didn't didn't work um, you know, she was a homemaker for the majority of my life until my dad did get cancer and then she had to go work for the family. Um, but I remember when I was 18, I went to East Carolina university for one year and one of the classes that I just added onto my schedule, cause it was, it was, it was like one credit point was personal finance. And I remember sitting in the class and it was just like this whole new world had opened up to me. And I don't really know if I would be who I am today without that class. That was the first time I had learned anything about interest rates or car loans or student. I didn't even know what I was getting myself into with the parent plus loan. And they broke that down in class. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have we done? And I remember going home that weekend after that particular lesson, my mom was just like, it'll be fine, Virginia. It'll be fine. I'm like, this is not going to be fine, mom. No. (laughs) So I I really had no clue what I was doing until that class. And that was when, that was the first monumental moment as an 18-year-old learning about what money was really. Because in my household, it's just something you did not talk about. Right. Okay. So then you get this financial knowledge right after you go to college. Did you actively like start applying that like immediately or did it take some kind of bumps in the road for you to really start to put that stuff into action? Well, I got an A in the class, but uh, it it really wasn't until I got married and I was, it was my oh crap moment that people talk about in the Dave Ramsey community, you know, what was your final straw? And my final straw was we, we had gotten, I had gotten married to my ex-husband and we had moved back to my hometown in Wilmington, North Carolina. And he had gotten a job with the sheriff's office and I didn't have a job. We had just gone back with no plan. (laughs) And we were, we weren't even renting the house that we were in. Um, We were in there and my ex-husband worked for the owner on his farm to pay for the rent because we didn't have any money. And I remember sitting there and the grace period for my loan was coming to a close. And I got that letter and I remember being like, Oh, Oh, we can't afford food and my student loan. Oh, and that was like the moment where I really sat down and looked at my life decisions and looked at my childhood and was like, I can't be like my parents. I can't be struggling for the rest of my life. I can't not take my medication that I need to live and eat and pay student loans and have negative money at the end of the month. I just can't do it. And I remember that that day very clearly. I cut up the credit cards and I read the total money makeover in within two days at least. And that's kind of where it changed for me. It was January 4th, 2016. So let's let's go back a little bit into that story. So I know part of that was you guys were about, I think it was around like $60,000 in debt, right? Around that mm-hmm. time. So yeah. what made up that debt? What was that, you know, the, the totality of that? Oh my gosh. So we had a car loan. My student loans were the biggest chunk of it. We had a personal loan that we paid for our wedding with. Um, credit cards. I had a Best Buy credit card, a Reseller credit card, a personal credit card, my ex-husband's personal credit card. So, I mean, it was it was just a plethora of normal, quote unquote, debt. 
Yeah. Okay. So then you you have this moment where you kind of wake up a little bit. So what were some of those initial steps that you were taking to kind of address it? Because as you said, I mean, you were getting to the end of the month and it's like, I'm running a negative. So like, how do you even start to address that? More months than money. Right. Um, well, at the time when I first started there, there wasn't even a debt-free community, but I, I really got on Instagram just to help, help hold myself accountable. And, you know, through talking to Amanda and through seeing these people like not spending money, not spending money to me, it didn't even occur to me that you, you could not spend money. And that sounds silly, right? Like, it's just such a simple thing. Like, just don't spend money. But that's just the way of life. That's the way of life that I grew up with for 23 years. You just, you go out to eat, you spend money on what you need. If something breaks, you go buy it. You know, your your car, if it's a little old, you get a new car. Like, it's just something that, it was just the way it was. And for me to see other people really kind of being rebellious and being like, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need this new thing. I can cook at home. I don't need to spend money. And I get joy from paying off debt. That was just mind blowing to me. And so I I literally just stopped spending money. I think the first thing I did, (laughs) I put my debit card and all of my credit cards in a mason jar and I sealed it. And I was like, this is credit card jail. And we are not spending any more money on this for at least a week. We're not going to spend any money. And I had my first like no spend week. And that's, that's really what propelled me to be like, oh, this is something that I really enjoy and I'm actually pretty good at. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. So, you know, at that time, it wasn't just you, right? You had a partner at that time. So what was that dynamic like? Because again, you're going from spending all the money to credit card jail. So like, how did that dynamic play out in your marriage at the time? I don't, I'm like a, I'm like a either a zero or a hundred. <laughs> like that's, that's me. So I think he was pretty like used to that kind of temperament with me. And I remember uh, like a, a couple of weeks after the January 4th incident, um, I was like, okay, dude, we're going we're gonna to do this. Like I need, I need your credit card. And, and it was like four o'clock in the morning because he was working uh, day shift, which that's just how it works at the sheriff's office. And uh, he was like half awake and he just like cut the credit card without even like opening his eyeballs. And that's, I don't know, he just kind of went along with it. And that's actually something that I've wanted to talk about for a while is at the beginning of our marriage, there were so many benefits that I don't think he really um, had a lot of input to it. He was just like, all right, well, this is something that you're into. Like, we're going to go for it, whatever. And then by the end of it, a few real things came out, but we can talk about that later. Um, but like money's never about money. So at the beginning it was convenient, but then it became very inconvenient. So right. <laughs> but yeah, at the beginning he was all for it. He was like, okay, this is your thing. I'll go with it. So, okay. So, you know, we've kind of touched on the fact that obviously this is an ex-husband. And so at what point was it for you that you kind of felt like your marriage was in a tough spot? And how were you guys doing financially at that time? Like, were you making some serious progress or were you debt free? Like kind of what was going on around that time? We were about $5,000 away from being debt free when we separated and financially everything was fine. I mean, we were really kicking butt. We were taking names. We were getting rid of these loans. Like I knew the budget. We knew the budget. We were sticking to the budget. Like it was like a well-oiled machine but money's never about money. And it, it turned out that he he wanted things in life that I just didn't want. I remember probably um, like four months before we split, he was like, I really want to buy a boat. 
but I was like, a, a boat? Like, what are you, like, and this is out of nowhere. I was like, what are you talking about, a boat? And he's like, yeah, I really want to buy a boat, like $10,000. I was like, yeah, but that's like $10,000 that we need to, like, fix up our house and pay off debt and live. And I remember just getting into this huge fight about a, a hypothetical boat. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, we're going in very different directions. <laughs> like, this is not the kind of life that I want. And you want all of these material things. And that's just not on my agenda. And I always laugh that, you know, Dave Ramsey and debt-free community, they, they always boast, you know, oh, you know, when you get on the same page financially, your, your marriage is going to turn around. You're going to be 100%. You're going to fall in love with each other all over again. But what a lot of people ignore is that when you do get on the same page financially, you realize that you're really not on the same page. And you realize like your life isn't going in the same direction. And this step-free journey isn't easy. You know, budgeting gives you freedom in many ways, but also it does constrict you. You have to prioritize. And when you realize that your priorities aren't the same as your partner, that is a big wake-up call. <laughs> and that that was one of the things that eventually led me to to split from right. husband. Okay. So you guys, you know, decide to to go through and split. I mean, and that in itself is a big financial decision, right? There are financial implications for that. And so did you have any financial fears or concerns about, you know, going down to essentially being solo? Well, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, I picked myself up from my bootstraps by myself. No. You know, when I took my vows, it was real for me. You know, I I fell in love with my ex-husband and who I loved him. And marriage was real for me. Like, it, you know, it was serious. And so I stayed in that really toxic, abusive relationship for far longer than I should have. And he made three times more than I made. And so when when I decided to leave, I knew that I was going to be in a really tough spot. At the time that I separated from him, we had a six-bedroom house on half an acre. He took care of everything, and, and my paycheck essentially went to to debt. So when I left, I, I essentially had the $1,000 in my checking account, and that was it. I didn't have anything else. I took the clothes off my back and Teddy to my parents' house, and that was all I had. So yeah, it was it was terrifying, honestly, but I was extremely fortunate to have parents that that were completely understanding of the situation. I had my entire support system that really saw me through every um challenge that I had during the 2 years that it took to separate and divorce. Um and then all of the kind of psychological repercussions after that. But financially, you know, my parents let me stay in their house for 4 months while I paid attorney fees. And while I saved as much money as I could to pay for the attorney, um, you know, my brother, the next day after I separated from my husband, he took me to therapy, physically drove me to therapy and was like, you're going to do this now. My best friends helped me pay for therapy. So it's not like I did not do this all by myself. And I didn't have I didn't have the money to pay for any of this by myself. So it was a lot. It was a community effort to get me out of that situation. Right. So once the divorce is actually finalized, I mean, what were some of the lifestyle changes you had to make? And actually not just once it was finalized, but as you're navigating it, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what were some of those lifestyle changes you had to endure? Obviously moving from the house, but um, what else? 
Um, you know, I <laughs> I drove a 2004 Saturn Ion that was on its last little leg for the for the two years that I went through my separation. I went down from having all of my own stuff to my parents' house, and then I couch surfed for probably half a year until I landed into a tiny little house with two other roommates. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it was really difficult to kind of navigate that. But at the same time, it was freeing. Like I was paying for everything by myself. I was standing on my own two feet. Like I didn't need him to to validate my job, to validate these life decisions. And I felt in a way free f- from that. Um, so it it was really, it was difficult. I had to sell a lot of things. I mean, I sold, I sold pretty much everything I had. I mean, everything fit into my car that I took to that, that house with my, the two roommates. I mean, it was a complete life, life change switch. At the same time, you know, I, I just rolled with it because I had to, I didn't have a choice and I wasn't going to go back to an abusive relationship. So, you know, I just have to ask, I mean, I know that. I feel that maybe somebody listening to this is either kind of in the beginning stages of that or they feel like maybe a divorce is inevitable in their situation. So I want to ask you, I mean, do you have any tips for somebody going through that or somebody that's about to go through that um, to help them navigate that a little better from a financial perspective? Yeah, I mean, lawyer up, get an attorney that is going to be on your side no matter what. and Lawyers are not cheap, notoriously, but it's kind of one of those things where you get what you pay for. So if you have the money, uh, spend it on an attorney. (laughs) And then number two is lean on your support system, like heavily lean on them because divorce in and of itself is traumatic, especially if it's a difficult divorce like mine was from a very toxic, abusive, financially abusive situation. But emotionally, it is you are a tired that you can never really explain to somebody. You're a tired that sleep doesn't cure kind of tired. And you need people around you that love you and will support you and will tell you, you know, you're doing the best you can do. We're here for you. You deserve better. You are going to be so much better in the future. You just got to hang on. So those are my two tips is lawyer up and lean on your friends and family. Gotcha. Okay. So. Your divorce is finalized and it's time to start rebuilding your life. I mean, mm-hmm. what were you focused on accomplishing at that time? You know, for so long, I was like, oh, I'm going to be married. I'm going to have a house and then I'm going to pay off debt and I'm going to be debt free. And then I'm going to be a property manager and I'm going to do all of these amazing things with my money, you know, and then in a, in a snap, all of it was gone. And so when my divorce was finalized, it was just like this whole new world just opened up to me and I had all these possibilities and it's just not the way that my life, I thought the way that my life was going to go, which is horrifying (laughs) because you just have so many options. Um, So when my divorce was finalized, you know, I was like, okay, I can breathe a little bit now. Like I don't have to, finally, I don't have to pay thousands of dollars for an attorney. You know, he's done fighting. I'm done fighting. It's over. So I went right back to the Dave Ramsey plan. <laughs> and I started stacking my cash, you know. Um, I was paying pretty low rent because I had two roommates. You know, I, I was paying for all of my stuff. But, you know, through um, learning how to budget and through my passion with personal finance, I knew how to navigate that. 
So basically what I did is I just threw as much money as I could into savings, not really with a plan for that money, but um, you know, I was like, well, I don't ever want to be in a situation like I was before. So I'm just going to throw as much money as I can in savings. Well, well I can. So that's what I did. And, uh, and then I lost my job. <laughs> oh, okay. So talk about, talk about that. What, I mean, what was, what was going on there? Uh, yeah. Um, my company decided to downsize and, um, it, it for a, a number of reasons and it wasn't due to anything that I had done. Um, but you know, I was the lowest person on the totem pole. I was, I was the young one. And so I got, got the ax and that was honestly a little more terrifying than than the divorce because I thought for I thought I had, had you know I was like okay I'm saving money I got my job I got my life together like I'm doing my single girl anthem thing woo and then I lost my job and it just felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me and I was like what the crap am I gonna do now <laughs> like I went through separation I went through divorce and now I lost my job great um but I, I had met Joe um a month prior <laughs> and i decided you know i've got i've got money in the bank like i don't have to get a job immediately like that's what this whole financial independence is about right like you have options so i was like okay i'm just going to go to ohio for a month see how it works you know cuz he was in ohio and i was in north carolina and i had applied for job after job after job and no one was calling me back and i mean i don't mean to sound hoity toity or anything but I have a degree from a very nice university, nationally known. I had been in the industry, the social media management industry since 2011. I had started my own business when I was 19. You know, I mean, I had all these accolades and it's just companies weren't interested in me in Wilmington. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Ohio, see what happens. So I packed up all my stuff and I moved to Ohio and uh, I applied to jobs in Ohio and the same thing was happening. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to do my own business. I, what, what else can the world throw at me? Why not? Let's do it. And so I decided to take a risk and now I'm a business owner. <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about that decision to go into business for yourself. I mean, you, I know you said that you felt like options were were limited at that time, but Talk a little bit about, I mean, kind of your thought process in starting up a business and then some of the practical steps you had to take to to get up and running. I think at that time in my life, I was just so tired of other people having control over me. You know, whether it was my ex-husband and my lawyer and then my boss, I was just like, this is, I can't do this anymore. I want to have autonomy in my own life. I'm tired of it. You know, I can't just give myself over to another boss that could fire me two months later when I get my feet on the ground. And I I had always wanted to be a business owner. Like, I'd always wondered. And like I said, I started my own business when I was 19, and that just kind of fell flat. So, like, I had kind of an idea of what I needed to do, like get, getting my LLC and separating my bank accounts and stuff like that. But I just felt like, you know, there's a need in the debt-free community. There's a need with content creators and I can satisfy that need. And I have the experience. I have the connections. I'm so passionate about the debt-free community. Why can't I turn that into something that I do full-time? And I I knew that it was a risk because I knew I wasn't going to have health insurance. I knew that this could completely blow up in my face. I knew that I could make $15 in one month and 10,000 the next month. And 
you know, that's a roller coaster that you have to be prepared for. But I think it was just more about me taking control and me seeing power within myself and me really believing in what I could give the community. And I just decided to run with it. Right. And I'm so glad you brought up healthcare. That's something that a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs have to think about and be concerned about. So how are you currently managing that as an entrepreneur? Mm, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't have health insurance and I could go into what a travesty that is in this country that I don't have health insurance. Um, and uh, to be completely honest with you, I am voting blue and I am hoping that universal health care comes and knocks on my door. But until then, I'm hoping that when open enrollment period happens again, I w- I'm going to weigh my options and see if I can, you know, actually afford that for myself. But other than that, when you're starting your own business and you don't have the overhead, that's just something that you have to consider. Can you live without insurance or are you not going to? For me, I would rather not have health insurance and have control over every other aspect of my business. But I know that other people aren't, you know, 27 and healthy. So it's just something that you have to weigh for yourself. So, I mean, how do you how do you come to that decision? Because and especially with your family history, with your father's illness and, mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things, I'm sure that's a that's not an easy decision. So for you, I mean, what was it when you sat down and you looked at it that said, you know what? this this just it's not in the cards for me right now i mean it really came down to uh can i feed myself or not <laughs> i mean that's that's just the honest truth you know and it's not just my dad you know um there are so many health problems in my family but as a lot of my followers know as you know i you know i have se- severe depression and anxiety and ptsd so i mean i am very medication dependent and it it just comes down to me saving as much money as I can. You know, the emergency fund is something that I preach almost every single day to somebody at least daily, you know, have an emergency fund because I do. And once a year I go to the doctor and I pay an atrocious amount to do that without health insurance, but it's something that I have to do, but it's still cheaper than health coverage that I would have gotten. But again, I have a CPA now. Um, and it's all about, you know, also kind of projecting what income you're going to make, because if you're going to be with that health insurance for three years, I don't know if I would start my own business, but I knew that I was going to grow exponentially as soon as I started, just because of the way that marketing and social media industries work. And especially when I got into it, I was like, oh, this is a, this is golden. I have an actual opportunity here and I think I'm going to stay in business for a while. So it's really about timelines. It's about, are you going to be able to pay out of pocket for some things that you would normally pay with insurance? What's your family history? How young are you? Do you have a family? You know, it's just something that you have to weigh very cautiously and you have to spend time on it. For me, all of the pros outweighed the cons. Um, you know, I can make my own schedule. I get to work with my friends. I get to work with people that I admired for years before doing this. Um, you know, I, I make really great money now and I'm looking to kind of transition to getting myself health, health insurance. So it's just gonna, it's just gonna be very, you know, like personal finance is personal, your small business is personal as well. And you really have to weigh those options. 
Okay, so let's talk about some of the positives of owning your own business. What are some of the most rewarding parts? I know you just kind of touched on it a little bit, working with your friends and people you admire and you're doing well. But for you, what has been like the most rewarding part of being in business for yourself? I think just the autonomy. Like if I'm getting overwhelmed one day because I have so much on my plate and I just I just can't handle it, I don't have to ask anybody to leave my desk. I don't have to ask anybody for PTO. I just go. I just take a nap or I I say, you know what? It's gorgeous day outside. It's 79 degrees in Colorado. I'm going to go on the side of a mountain now because I'm tired of this. And I just go. Like I'm taking, I, I took a month vacation last year in Wilmington and I still worked occasionally, but I didn't have to ask anybody to do anything. I just went. And that is really what life is about for me. I don't want to have to ask anybody for anything anymore. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's probably the most personally rewarding thing. Now, professionally, oh my gosh, my passion is personal finance and I want to serve underserved populations. I want people to be financially illiterate. I don't want people to have to make mistakes that my parents did. I don't want people to grow up the way I grew up. So being able to touch lives in that way every single day through popular channels, whether it's blogs or podcasts or Instagram, whatever medium it is, being able to influence a whole sect of, of an industry is, it, it blows my mind that my hands are in so many different brands and, and I get to work with people that really make a difference, like a viable difference in people's lives. And that's probably my goal professionally is to help as many people as I can. And I get to do that every single day. Every day I wake up, I get to help people. And that's that's my dream. So let's talk about the future. I mean, what are you looking forward to accomplishing, not just with your business, but personally, financially, you know, five, 10 years from now? What are some of your goals that you have for that? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think for somebody who has had the early 20s that I have had, um, it's hard to think of 10 years from now. But I think continuing the legacy of weird digital marketing is going to be really picking and choosing the people that I do business with in a way that helps the most people possible. You know, I work with you, as some people know. Now everybody knows. Yay. And, <laughs> and uh you know, it's people like you. It's it's podcasts like this. It's it's making it accessible for people that normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn about any of this. And there's a popular saying like money isn't everything, but money is about everything. Like it's ingrained in our society. It's ingrained in everything you do. And money shouldn't be the priority. And that's always what I tell entrepreneurs that are like, I want to go and start my own business. And I ask, hey, well, what's your goal? I want to make a boatload of money. And I'm like, oh, honey. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're not going to get very far. Mm -hmm. Like, So my ultimate goal is honestly and truly to help as many people as possible and to be happy. And that is going to change year to year. What that looks like is going to change year to year. But that's really the two goals that I have is to be happy and to help as many people as possible. And whatever that ends up being, I hope it's within the realm of weird digital marketing. And you are doing just that. So kudos to you for having gone through everything you're going through and 
coming out and being where you are now. I mean, that's just really inspiring. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. I, I think you're just an incredible human and your story deserves to be told. So I'm going to help you tell it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I just, I want women listening to, to, to understand that they do have the power to change their situation. And, you know, I have gone through hell and back, honestly, I really have. And I, I ended up on top and it's because of the community that I'm a part of. It's because of my family. It's because of my friends and it's because of a determination to be happy and to help people. It has nothing to do with money. Right. So I posed a hypothetical question to you earlier about divorce and I have another hypothetical scenario. Let's say there's somebody out there that's listening to this right now that is considering making that jump into full time entrepreneurship for whatever reason, whether it's a job market thing or their options are limited or whether they're just really passionate about something. What are some actionable tips that you can share with them to help that person get started and on the right track with the business? OK, number one is get a CPA. <laughs> I didn't for the first um, half year, and I made some really dumb mistakes that cost me a lot of money. And if I had just gone to a CPA, it would have saved me a lot of money and a lot of headache and time. Um, so go to a CPA. Number two, please, for the love of God, separate your personal finances and your business finances. Your CPA will thank you, and it will become much less confusing when you're trying to pay yourself. <laughs> Um, I see so many people that are like, oh, it's all in one account. I'm like, what are you doing? No. Um, so those are, the, those are the two tips. And my third is know your worth and then add tax. Because when I first started, <laughs> I was charging what I had made at my previous job. And I wasn't accounting for the fact that, you know, I have overhead now and taxes now and I'm paying for all of my own equipment now and all of my time. And that was something that I, I really just didn't even think about, you know, with my first client, I was like, holy moly, I have a first client. $15 an hour seems okay, right? And uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that. My clients were getting such a sweet deal. Um, please don't do that. And, and the way you can kind of overcome that is, you know, doing your research, going on Glassdoor and talking to people who do what you do or do what you're aspiring to do um, and see what the market is like in your area and kind of match your, your pricing to that. Awesome. Well, hey, V, thank you so much for being so open and just so incredible as a human. Um, but I want to end this by just letting you have an opportunity to share where people can find you and anything you have to offer that you feel like could help somebody else. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you are also an incredible human being. Um, you can find me over at vfrugalfox.com and at vfrugalfox on Instagram. And then my business facing is weirdweirdigitalmarketing.com and at weirdigitalmarketing on Instagram. Great. Well, I will be sure to include links to all of that in the show notes, which you guys can find at winningtowealth.com slash episode 29. That is winningtowealth.com slash episode 29. But V, thanks again for coming on and sharing part of your story. I really appreciate your openness and your transparency on what is just a subject that a lot of folks don't really like to talk about publicly. So again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Now, here is my win from this week's episode. 
So V realizes not just the extent of her debt, but also that she has a spending problem. And so she seeks community, right? But she didn't stop there. She immediately took action and she locked her credit cards away, which is a super smart act if you struggle with overspending. And so maybe you've tried to will yourself into making better financial choices and it just has not worked. The truth is a lot of the people I know who are actually winning with money, people that have been former guests on this podcast aren't just naturally good at managing money either. What they and I have done is just put systems and put processes in place that just keep them on the right path. And so by locking up her credit cards, V was able to change her financial trajectory and just look at where it's gotten her now. So again, thank you V for just sharing so much of your story with us. Again, I'm super appreciative of how open and transparent you were. Now I want to hear what you learned from this episode that can make you just a little bit better with money. So in order to do this, head over to our private Facebook group, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash teammates and share your favorite money win from this episode. Also, if you're looking for tools and resources to help you get started on your own financial wellness journey, be sure to download my Winning to Wealth Money Playbook, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash playbook. This book is going to give you clear step-by-step directions on how to manage your money from wherever you're starting from. And again, you can find that at winningtowealth.com slash playbook. But hey, that's all the time I have this week. So until we talk again, keep racking up those wins one at a time. We'll talk soon. You've wrapped up another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. To learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions, head over to winningtowealth.com.